going to be reading from verses 15 to 21. And here, the Apostle Paul really contrasts what happened through the first man, Adam, our representative, and what happened subsequently after Christ came and the work that he did. So it's about that contrast. So let's dip into the text. And from verse 15, chapter 5 of the book of Romans, where Paul writes this, But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Again, the gift of God is not like the result of the one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. But the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if, by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous." I wonder if you have ever experienced what it means to have an abundance of something. So, for example, you might go on holiday, as we have been in the last week, and you might experience an abundance of sunshine. If you experience an abundance of sunshine on your holiday, what might that be like? Well, for me, it would be when I open the curtains in the morning, it's a blue sky. And before I go to bed at night, I can see the sunset because there are few clouds in the sky, and throughout the day, it would be sunny. That would be, for me, an abundance of sunshine, particularly if it was more than one day. Or maybe some of us holidaying in England have experienced an abundance of rain when we've been on holiday. Anybody ever experienced that? I certainly have on more than one occasion. I remember the Dales Bible Week many, many moons ago. And uh, it rained solidly the whole week. I also remember another occasion where we had an abundance of rain. We were on the south coast, and we'd rented a uh, house right on the seafront. We thought, great, kids were little at that time, so primary school age. We thought, great, beach, you know, take them to the beach every day. We did not go on the beach one single day. There was an abundance of rain and gales for the whole week. The point is, an abundance here, the Apostle Paul talks in verse 17, he says, How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? And what I want to focus on this morning, I want to focus on that phrase, reigning in life. As I read through the passage many weeks ago, I was struck by that thought, to reign in life. What does that mean? 
to reign in life. And I hope to unpack that a little bit as we go along. It's a very challenging thought. The Bible talks about us being more than conquerors. And the fact that He always, in other words, Christ leads us in triumph. So here we have reigning in life. More than conquerors. Always being led in triumph. If we're honest, do we always feel like that? I don't feel necessarily as if I'm reigning in life. Or more than a conqueror. In fact, Many times in life, I don't feel as if I'm reigning in life at all. I don't feel as if I'm more than a conqueror. I don't feel as if I'm being led in triumph. Paul explains his thinking here. <clears throat> need to go back a little bit to look at what he's talking about, the different effects of what Adam, the first man, did and what Christ did. See, Adam was our representative. What he did, we in effect did. It's more difficult to understand in our individualistic culture, but in a culture where there's a sense of communal responsibility, it's easier to understand that sense of corporate responsibility. The Apostle Paul writes in verse 12, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, i.e. Adam, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. And in verse 18 he says, One trespass, Adam's sin in the garden, resulted in condemnation for all people. The point is that sin and death came to the human race through our representative. What he did, we did. And even if we find that difficult to accept as a theological concept, we can certainly look out into the world and see the effects of uh, what Adam did. Sin and death certainly seems to be reigning supreme in most of the world. In fact, we don't even need to read the newspaper or look on the television to see the kind of horrific things that are going on. We need to look no further than our own heart, if we're really honest. You know, sin is lurking there from time to time, and sometimes, if we're honest, it gets the better of us. The writer, the Nobel Prize-winning writer, William Golding, got it right when he wrote the famous book, Lord of the Flies, where he takes a group of uh, primary school boys and has them marooned on a desert island. And very quickly, he uh, lets the veneer of civilization come off them, and they descend into barbarism, really. And I think that William Golding was trying to explain that actually lurking within the human heart, when the veneer of civilization is removed, is sin. So death came and sin came through the trespass of one man. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. That was the effect on the human race. When Adam sinned, when he disobeyed God, when he rebelled against God, when he decided to go his own way, that was the destiny of the human race. He perfectly represented you and me. What he did, we did. That's what the Apostle Paul is telling us. But Paul contrasts what Adam did with what Christ did. Because if that was the end of the story, well, all sinned and death came through Adam. If that was the end of the story, it would be totally bleak. There would be no hope at all. But we know it isn't the end of the story. Because God gave a gift. And when God gives a gift, He always gives good gifts. In verse 15, Paul writes this, But the gift, i.e. Christ and what He did, is not like the, the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? 
So God has got grace for us. God has got a gift for us, and it's the gift of His Son. And we see God's grace in action. God's grace, it's undeserved. It's unearned. It's His kindness and favor. I'm so glad I don't have to earn God's grace. Aren't you? Because I would never be able to do it. I would never be good enough. But God's grace does not have to be earned. God's gift does not have to be earned. It's His kindness. Why does He do it? Why does He want to give you grace today even? He's not compelled to. He doesn't have to. He chooses to. Isn't that lovely? Isn't that wonderful to think that God chooses to give you grace today? God chooses to give you kindness today. You haven't earned it. You don't deserve it. But nevertheless, He chooses to. Why does He do that? He does it for one reason. It's because He loves. God is love. And isn't it nice to know that God loves you? He loves you, and He wants to give you favor today. He wants to give you grace today. It's like a red carpet. When I think of God's grace, I often think of a red carpet. You know, when, when the VIPs come, the, the President of the United States comes to the UK or any other president, they roll out the red carpet. Or the Queen comes, they roll out the red carpet. And the dignitaries, the VIPs, they walk on the red carpet. Well, I'll tell you what, we've got a better red carpet to walk on than they have. Because our red carpet is the red carpet of Jesus' blood. And it takes us not into the palace, it takes us to the very throne room of God Himself, to that throne of mercy and grace. So I would just want to say this to you as we're kicking off this sermon this morning, grace is here for you today. There's the grace of God, the kindness of God, the favor of God. God wants to bestow grace on you today. God wants to bestow His favor on you today. God wants to bestow His kindness on you today. God wants to unroll His red carpet of grace that will take you right into the throne room today for you. Why? You've not earned it. You've not deserved it. It's His kindness. It's His love. It's His goodness to you and me. It's His gift. So I just want to say to you today, receive that grace, right? Let the cloud of condemnation that may be over you, let it be removed. Because Jesus doesn't condemn you. He says, I didn't come to condemn the world. I didn't come to condemn the world. I don't come to condemn you. So if you feel in some shape or form that there's some kind of cloud sitting over you because of who you think you are and what you feel you've done, Jesus says to you today, there is no condemnation. It's not coming from me. But coming from me is my grace. Coming from me is my kindness. Coming from me is my favor. Coming from me is my desire to do you good. Who wants to do you good in this life? Perhaps if you're married, your husband wants to do you good. I trust he does from time to time. Or your wife may want to do you good. Or occasionally, even your children, if you're very blessed, will want to do you good, yeah? There may be somebody in your life who wants to do you good. Or perhaps they already have done you good in the past, or maybe even today. Well, Jesus wants to do you good today. Why? Because He loves you, and He has got an abundance of grace. There is no shortage in heaven of His kindness and His love. It's abundant. 
an abundance. You think, if you got a, anybody got a garden here? What do you have an abundance of in your garden? Do you have an abundance of weeds? Nettles, brambles, dandelions, cowslips. I've got an abundance of weeds. Or maybe you have an abundance of flowers. An abundance of flowers. You know, you've worked hard, you've planted seeds, you've done it, this stuff, and you now have an abundance. God has an abundance. You just need to look at the creation to see God's abundance. I'm going slightly off piste here, but I just feel maybe it's good to go off piste every now and again. Um, you just need to look at the creation. I was thinking about it this morning when we were praying upstairs in the office. You, you look at the creation. The, the sea is teeming with living creatures. I mean, if I said to you, how many uh, creatures that live in the sea could you name in 10 seconds? You'd name quite a lot, I should think. Wouldn't you? Whales, dolphins, porpoises, cod, salmon, shrimps, uh, whales, I don't know, and varieties of whales and all sorts of stuff, isn't there? It's teeming. Why? Because it reflects the nature of God. Or if you look at the creatures that, that creep and crawl and walk and run and spring around on the ground, it's teeming with life. How many creatures that do that can you name in 10 seconds? Loads. Why? Because God is abundant. Isn't that amazing as well? That God said to Abraham, I don't know how many thousands of years ago it was, he said, look at the heavens. If you can count the stars, or look at the sand on the seashore, if you can count the grains of sand, then so shall your descendants be. And I was thinking about that this morning. And I was thinking, we're part of that promise. We're part of the fulfillment of that promise that God made to Abraham like thousands of years ago. You're going to have many descendants of faith. And I was standing in that office this morning thinking, I'm part of that fulfillment. You know, God made that sacred promise. What does it tell me about God? It tells me, it tells me He's absolutely reliable, dependable, faithful. His character doesn't change. He took Abraham, a pagan guy, out of Ur of the Chaldees who was not seeking God. He took him out and He said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you many descendants. And it's the God that we worship. He's fulfilled his promise to Abraham. He's abundant. Look at the stars. Can you count them? Look at the grains of sand. He's abundant. The abundant provision of grace. God is not stingy. He doesn't say, well, today you can have, let's see what change I've got, you know, for grace for you today. Well, like, like sometimes we do with the offering. Oops. You know, I've got 5P. That's your grace for today. No, no, no. You know, the whole of the, the cattle on a thousand hills belongs to God. Fort Knox is nothing to him. You know, all the diamonds and gold and everything belongs to him, let alone what riches there may be in outer space. Who knows? The point is this, there's an abundance of grace. And God wants you to receive it today, right? God wants any cloud of condemnation to be lifted from off your spirit today. Because there is abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. You know, it's a gift of righteousness. You know, I don't have to earn a gift. I don't have to work harder. I don't have to come to the prayer meeting to have the gift of righteousness. I don't have to be here on a Sunday morning to have the gift of righteousness. I don't have to read through the Bible in a year to get the gift of righteousness. It's a gift. 
Now, these things may be helpful. I don't have to fast every week in order to get the gift of righteousness. It's a gift. It's not earned. And it's not any old righteousness. It's not, I'll make you as good as Mahatma Gandhi or Mother Teresa. No. It's far, far more splendid. It's far, far more glorious. It's far, far more beautiful than anything that Mahatma Gandhi or Martin Luther King or Mother Teresa or anybody else who we might esteem. Far, far greater. It's the righteousness of the Beloved. It's the righteousness of Jesus Christ Himself, the pure and holy and spotless Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world without blemish, without fault. Never a dark thought entered His soul. Never a dark thought entered His mind. Never a wicked word sprang out of His lips. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's His righteousness that we receive. We can never earn it. These things that I talk about, like going to prayer meetings and stuff, they're good, they're helpful, they're necessary, but they never earn our righteousness. So never feel that I have to somehow earn God's righteousness. I have to earn His approval. No. Jesus did it. He's already done it. It is finished. I've done it, Jesus said. I'm your big brother. (laughs) I did it for you. I thought it was so lovely what Francis said earlier about, um, you know, we're we're brothers and sisters. We're family. We were enemies. We were far away. We were like in a distant country doing our own thing. Now we're family. Hey, do you know what it's like to be family in the family of God? There's abundance, abundant grace, and the gift of righteousness. So he says, and the outcome, the outcome of, of Christ's sacrifice, in verse 17, he says this, For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace? Abundant provision of grace. And of the gift of righteousness. So you need to receive that. You need to receive that abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness. And then he goes on, reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. What does it mean then to reign in life? Is it even possible? (laughs) Does it mean, if you reign in life, does it mean that you sail through life Without a care of the world, care in the world. Is that what it means? To reign in life. Now, some people can be quite good at that. They can let other people do the worrying for them. Is that what it means? That you, or you stick your head in the sand and you pretend it's not happening? Or you ring fence yourself with scriptures? Christians are very good at that. But actually, sometimes they're just hiding. The hiding behind the reality of what's really going on in their hearts. I must confess, yeah, we do have to have the shield of faith. I appreciate that. But sometimes I get a little concerned that we just pop up a scripture as if somehow that, I don't know. I don't think that's necessarily what reigning in life is about. 
Paul writes about some of the pressures that he was under. Forty lashes, three times, five times minus one. Three times beaten with rods, pelted with stones, three times shipwrecked. Danger from rivers, danger from bandits, danger from my fellow Jews, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the country, danger at sea, danger from false believers. Labor, toiled without sleep. I've known hunger, thirst, gone without food, been cold, been naked, let alone facing the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. So I don't think he's talking about I'm having a trouble-free life here when he's talking about reigning in life. He's not saying, well, there won't be any troubles. There won't be any difficulties. So what does it mean in that case to reign in life? What does it mean for you today in the situations that you face at work, in the family, health issues, maybe some financial difficulties, maybe things from the past that haunt you, things that you feel inadequate about or failure about, clouds that, and ghosts that arise from your past, things that you may have done or that have happened to you. What does it mean for you to reign in life today? What does it mean for me to reign in life today? I briefly want to look at three areas. One, the glorious. Two, the ordinary. And three, the suffering. The glorious, the ordinary, and the suffering. You see, I think, let's start with the glorious. Let's start with perhaps the easy one, the glorious. What does it mean to reign in life? Well, Christianity is not simply a new set, a new and improved set of rules that you and I have to live by. Okay? That's not what it's about. It's far, far greater than that. It's about reconnecting. It's about a relationship with the living God that we seek to develop throughout the whole of our life. That's what it's about. And we need to recognize that if we, the, the time that we became Christians, something glorious happened. Something amazing, something transcendent, something powerful and transforming happened when we gave our lives to Christ. And it's this. We became a new creation. A new creation. And God's new creation is going to continue right till the end of time. But God has inaugurated something absolutely amazing and glorious. It's new creation. You must be born again, Jesus said. We have the Spirit of God coming within us. We need to recognize that something glorious and magnificent has happened to us. It's not just like having a Ferrari engine in a Skoda. It's like having a completely new Ferrari. Ooh, I wouldn't mind the drive of one of those. Uh, but God has put His Spirit within us. And from time to time, I have to say this, I think this, our experience of what it means to be a Christian should from time to time be glorious. Do you agree? Out of interest. Seriously. And some of you are not so sure. I'll give you time to think about it. Anyway, think about it between now and lunchtime or whenever. Think about it in the week. Should your experience of what it means to be a Christian, at least from time to time, be glorious? I would say it does. Because I worship, not about you, I worship the living God. And the living God loves me. 
The living God loves you. The living God is interested in you. He's interested in your welfare. It says, if you've got any cares in life, well, where should you be putting your cares? It says, cast all your cares on, on Him. Why? Because He cares for you. So I think from time to time, our experience of what it means to be a Christian should have some elements of glory in it. I'm not sure what that might be for you. For me, from time to time, it's in times of worship like we had this morning when Ellie and the team led us so wonderfully. It was great. I had a sense during part of that worship, and it's something I've been praying about as well, that often the Holy Spirit is likened to the dove, isn't He? He comes down as a dove. And Jesus talks about um, Father wanting to gather Jerusalem like a, a mother hen with her chicks and stick them under her wing. And the psalm writer writes about being hidden in the shadow of your wings. And I've been praying a little bit about that recently. I've been saying to the Lord, Lord, I'd like to know what it is to just be under your wings, like a little chick just nestling in there. And this morning, I had a touch of that during the worship. There was a sense in which I felt the Spirit of God and the wings of God covering me. And I felt safe, and I felt secure. I experienced something a little aspect of the glory of God. Or maybe for you, you go out somewhere. You go out for a walk. And maybe you go to the woods. Maybe the, during the bluebell season. I don't know. I know some of you like to do things like that. And you're touched with something of the beauty and the magnificence and the transcendence of God and something of the glory. You know who's made this stuff. Or you look at the night sky and you wonder what's really out there. And you see the constellations and you're touched by that, the depth of it, the, the infinity of it all. And you know who made it. You see His signature in the sky, written in the stars. And something of the glory touches you because you know who's done it. Or maybe it's someone who loves you and shows you something of the love of Christ unexpectedly. And you're touched with the glory. Or perhaps it's the fact that you are moved with compassion yourself and you reach out to someone and you want to bless that person and you want to encourage them and you want to do them good. And in your unselfish behavior, something of the glory of God touches your heart and soul. And as a transformation goes on within you, I want to say this to you. We do not worship a dead God. We worship the living God, and He wants to meet with you. It's not some dead, turgid, rule-bound, straight-jacketed religion. No, Jesus said, you'll know the truth, and you will be bound in a straight-jacket. No, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Just picture a bird in a cage. What are you like today? Are you a bird in a cage? Do you feel that Christianity sort of hemmed you in with iron bars and there's no way out and it's a bit dreary, but I'll have to do it because it's the right thing to do? No. The Lord wants to open the cage door and say, go on, fly. I've got a destiny for you. I've got purposes and plans for you. And I want to be the power in your life in order to see that fulfilled. I want to cause you to ascend on eagle's wings and see life totally differently. We need to experience something of the glorious in order to reign in life with Christ. But not all life is glorious. We know that, don't we? Most of our life is lived in what I would call the ordinary. <clears throat> we eat. We sleep. We go to work. We get the dinner ready. We take the kids to school. We wash. We iron. We walk the dog. We shop. 
We have a shower, brush our teeth, we cut the grass, we fill our car with petrol, we go to the library, we get our hair cut, and so on. It's the ordinary, isn't it? What does it mean to reign in life? By the way, these areas are overlapping the glorious and the ordinary. And what does it mean to reign in life, in the ordinariness of life? What does it mean to reign in life with Christ as we just go about our daily routines, as it were? Well, it's certainly about this. Patiently, perseveringly, doing the stuff. A house is not built in a day, but in a day, something of the house can be built. And Jesus talked about building a house. He said, hear my words and put them into practice, and if you do, you'll be like the wise man who built his house upon the rock, and it was absolutely secure. So it's about just doing the stuff, those little things that may not seem extraordinary, that may not seem glorious, those little acts of kindness, those little acts of thoughtfulness, those little acts of unselfishness, those little acts of just being moved by the Spirit, those little acts of doing our job well if we've got a job so that we are bearing a good witness. You've got a job, you're an employee, do it well. Do the best of your ability. Are you a homemaker? Do it well. Do the best of your ability. It reveals the glory of God. In the ordinariness of life and the things that we do, showing others some tenderness, some love, some kindness, stuff like that is doing the stuff of basic Christianity is reigning in life, in the ordinary. So I think we need to experience the glorious we certainly experience the ordinary, and we need, just need to keep perseveringly and patiently doing the stuff. But what about the suffering? The suffering, when I was thinking about that, and John talked in detail about suffering last week, but I just want to say a, a couple of things, and people's suffering may be different, but I do remember that when my mother, who was not that old, she was in her 70s, and she, was, she had cancer, bowels, and they couldn't do anything in the end. So she was dying, and uh, not only was she dying, but she was suffering from dementia, a tad. Uh, she certainly could, her short-term memory wasn't that good. She could remember stuff from a long time ago. And I went into the hospital, because she was in the hospital, to see her. She wasn't very good at eating herself and the staff. Perhaps they didn't have time, I don't know. So I used to try and go in at mealtimes and feed her. And uh, otherwise, I thought she wouldn't eat. Anyway, so I used to go in, and one day I went in, and uh, the curtains were closed around her bed because the nurse was doing something, and uh, she had to have a, a bag as well because of her, they couldn't fit the colon together and stuff like that. So I went downstairs to the foyer at Wickham Hospital, and I sat in one of the chairs, and I looked at the wall. I may have told this story before, and there's a big wall opposite the chairs, and it's blank. It's a blank wall. And I remember sitting there, and looking at the wall and thinking, is this what Christianity is about now? Here's my mother upstairs. She's dying.
And I'm here, staring at a blank wall. And I thought, yeah, this is what it means to be a Christian. You have to just live this through it. You have to live through it. And there's no easy get-out clause. There's no get-out-of-jail-card-free. You have to live through it. <laughs> and it's not easy. And in this world, there is suffering. There are tears. There is pain. But I tell you what, I take huge, colossal, and I don't understand why lots of things happen, and I never will. Some suffering happens, and you think, well, why did that happen? And you think, I don't know. I'm still wondering about things that have happened in this church where people have died prematurely, in my opinion, and I'm thinking, why? I don't get it. I don't get it. So there is pain, but I take huge encouragement from this. And this, I think, helps us to reign in life through our suffering. It's this, two words. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. There you have it. The Holy One. Worship night and day without ceasing. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Who is worthy to open the seals? Nobody is worthy. There's no one found in heaven and earth and under the earth to open the seals. Only one person, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Lamb of God, He has conquered. He is worthy to open the seals. Jesus wept. <laughs> he understands our suffering. He sweat drops of blood. He cried out in anguish on the cross. If anybody knows all about suffering, it's Jesus. And I take great encouragement from Psalm 34, verse 18, where it says this. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. I wonder, maybe in this room, there are people here who are brokenhearted. Maybe you feel crushed in spirit. Well, Jesus says to you, I'm near. I'm near. To reign in life, we need to have something of the glorious experience of what it means to be in friendship with the living God. In the ordinariness of life, we just need to patiently and perseveringly do the stuff to build the house patiently on the rock. Yes, there will be failures. Yes, there will be setbacks. Yes, there will be disappointments. I'm sorry, but there will. But hey, get back on that rock and patiently build. And through the suffering, we can approach that throne of grace to receive mercy to help us in our time of need because there's a man seated on the throne who wept and understands what you and I go through. Finally, receive God's abundant grace for you today and the gift of the righteousness of His beloved Son. Just receive that.